Mark chapter number 10, and I'd like to begin reading at verse number 17. Mark chapter number 10, verse number 17. The Word of God says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had many for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, But Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd bless your word to the hearts of your people this morning, Lord. God, that you'd accomplish in us that which would bring you the most glory. Lord, we have need of hearing from you this morning. Whether we're aware of it or not, we have need of it. God, I just pray that despite our apathy, Lord, despite our hard-heartedness at times, Oh, God, that you, through the wooing and through the power of the Holy Ghost, would speak to our hearts and help us to be submissive to your word and to your spirit. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Calvary. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm struck by the phrase that our Lord uses in verse number 21. Notice it with me. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning on just one thing. Now, you say, preacher, what is that one thing? Well, we see in this young man's life that it was his riches. But may I propose to you that the uh, moral of this uh, lesson here before us, the theme of this uh, historical account that's recorded in God's holy word, is not meant as a condemnation or an indictment against worldly wealth, but rather against that one thing. It is not meant here uh, to uh, embarrass this young man that went away grieved, but it's meant to talk about this one thing. 
Uh, this uh, passage that's set here before us uh, is not meant to berate people uh, that are blessed with temporal good. This passage is about that one thing. Isn't it interesting that of all the things that seem to be right in this young man's life, this one thing could mean heaven or hell for him? Isn't it interesting that out of all of the pleasures that he had in his life, because of this one thing, this young man went away sorrowful? Could I propose to you this morning that there's lots of folks that are going to die and go to hell over just one thing? Lots of Christians that are going to live in defeat over just one thing. Could I give you the word that I believe summarizes this one thing? And it's the word idolatry. You see, this young man's problem was not that he had riches. This young man's problem is defined for us uh, over in, uh, let's see here, uh, verse uh, number where he says children. Verse 24, he says, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches uh, to enter into the kingdom of God? This young man's problem uh, was not his treasures. This young man's problem was his trust. Could I say to you this morning that the thing that plagues Christianity uh, more than anything is Christians putting Christ in some other place than first place in their hearts, in their lives, in their minds, uh, in their everyday existence. I believe it's a rare thing for Christians to put Jesus Christ in the place of preeminence in their lives. You don't have to believe that this morning. But as I look at a Christianity, as I look at churches, and I hope this isn't true of ours, I don't believe it is, uh, but as I live in this city and I see churches uh, dying on the vine, I see Christians uh, hiding and blending in with the world, it becomes increasingly apparent to me that Jesus Christ is not the most important thing in a lot of folks' hearts and lives. You see, this young man, though he had all of these things, uh, though he would have looked the part, though he would have talked the part, though he would have acted the part, this one thing kept this young man uh, man out of heaven and sent him to hell. Uh, Now, this is a message this morning, not just for the lost. If you're here and if you're lost, uh, then I encourage you to accept Christ today. I encourage you to put aside that one thing in your life. It might be your family. It might be your finances. Uh, It might be uh, some bitter grudge from the past. Uh, It might be some other good work that you're trying uh, to put your trust in, but I encourage you to put that aside. Uh, But this morning, I would say that this has application not just for the lost, but for the saved as well. Uh, You see, I see a lot of Christians going away uh, the same way that this man did, uh, grieved and sorrowing. Uh, I've never seen a day in Christianity, uh, you know, and of course I've not got a lot of years on me, amen, but uh, as I read uh, biographies, as I read histories, uh, one of the overwhelming qualities of Christianity today seems to be sadness. People that are miserable in serving God, uh, people that are miserable in their churches, people that are miserable in their marriages, people that are miserable in their families, people just trudging along. Uh, Can I say to you that as a Christian, we're not supposed to be miserable, amen? Uh, We ought to have a joy uh, that's exceeding and abundant that no man can take. We ought to have a happiness. We ought to have a spring in our step. We ought to have a song on our lips at all times. I'm not saying that we live in a dream world, friend, but I'm merely saying this. It's a lot like a dream world to know that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sins, redeemed you. What is it that the song says? Uh, talks about if that's, uh, if that, that if heaven's not real, don't tell me. Don't wake me up. Don't stir me from my, uh, from my fantasy, from my sleep, from my dreaming. Uh, let me tell you something. I'm thankful that heaven is real. I'm thankful that Christ is real. I'm thankful that He does save, and we have something to be excited about. But a lot of Christians are going away from the church house, going away from the Word of God in the same shape that this young man is. Uh, Sorrowful, sad, low-faced, long-faced, and uh, we don't have to live that way. I want to preach to you for a few moments, and I want to notice three things this morning. 
I'm going to do my best to hurry. Uh, when it's rainy weather outside, I don't know how long I'm going to have everyone with me. Amen. Uh, it's a bad thing when a preacher's preaching, then he realizes he's the only one left awake. Uh, it's a worse thing when he wakes up and realizes he fell asleep too. Amen. Uh, so let me just give you three things this morning. I want you to notice his description. How does Scripture de- uh, describe this young man? You see, this is not a young man that's a down and out. Uh, this uh, is a young man who's an up and in. This is a young man who you would look at and think would have everything together. Notice these three things that he has. Look at verse 17. It says, And when he was gone forth into the way, uh, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Can I say that we see in this young man's life that he had manners. He knew how to talk the talk. He knew how to appear as everyone else would expect him to appear. Can I give you a quote this morning that I hope will help you? I hope it'll stir you. I hope it'll warn you. When we get to the place that we can fake sincerity, it's all downhill from there. When we get to the place where we can fool everybody, there's nothing to stop us from spiraling into backsliddenness and carnality. You see, this young man, he knew how to talk the talk. This young man knew what was expected of him. He had heard of Jesus. He came to him and used the term master. It was a term uh, that was uh, very closely akin to the term rabbi. It was a term of respect. Uh, It was not a term of endearment, uh, but it was a term of authority. And what he's saying here is he's he's calling God by the name that he thinks he's expected to call him by. He says, good master. He kneels before him. In other words, could I give you something like it today? Uh, This is the kind of boy that would have known how to behave in church. He would have known what was expected of him. Uh, He would have known how to dress a certain way, how to look a certain way. He would have known all the language. You see, everything in his life uh, seemed to bespeak a person of uh, good breeding and a person of good manners. And you know, uh, boy, I love children. I love young people. Do you know why? Uh, Because they don't have all the fake filters that you and I have on on us as adults. Uh, they just tell it like it is. Uh, as adu- and sometimes that gets them in trouble, amen, but they do. Uh, as adults, we learn how to play the game, you know what I mean? Uh, we learn how to say all the right things, we know how to look the right way, how to act the right way. That's a dangerous game to be playing, friend, uh, because the reality is, as uh, we deceive others long enough, we're going to start to deceive ourselves. And that's what this young man had done. He was a man of good breeding, a man of good manners, but I would note not only he had manners, but uh, he was a man that had a lot of money. We were talking this morning about uh, this world system that we live in and uh, how that money is the driving force of the uh, world system that we live in, how that money is going to be one of the foundational principles of the empire of the Antichrist. Uh, the book of First John says, uh, They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Uh, you look at this prosperity gospel that's being uh, perpetrated uh, throughout Christendom today, uh, and people say, well, how do they draw such big crowds, preacher? Uh, they're of the world, and they speak of the world, and therefore the world heareth them. Amen. They're saying the same thing that Fortune 500 uh, companies hire motivational speakers to come in and tell their workers. Uh, it's a worldly message, and if you live right, uh, if, if you do right, uh, then you're going to be wealthy, then you're never going to be sick, then you're never going to have any problems. Uh, I have a problem with that because the Bible tells me that Jesus had no place to lay his head. Uh, if, if the Son of God wasn't blessed with temporal wealth, what would make me think that I'd be blessed with temporal wealth? Amen? Uh, but, uh, you know, there's this idea that, well, if we've got a lot of money, uh, then we can do what we wish, we can do what we want. And it's funny how we live in this world today and we get acclimated, even as Christians, we get acclimated to that ideology. And we begin to think to ourselves that if we have financial success, it's because we're right with God. Could I say to you that poverty does not necessarily mean you're wrong with God, and, uh, and prosperity does not necessarily mean you're right with God. 
Just because this young man had money, that didn't mean anything. If he had been broke as he could be, that wouldn't have meant anything either. Uh, This was a man of great wealth, of great money. I think sometimes as we read the plain words of Scripture, it's hard for us to fathom what all's implied in that. I mean, when the Bible says he had great possessions, I don't think that meant just that he drove a nice car. I don't think that meant just that he had some nice clothes. I think this was a man that could have done anything he chose to do, anything he wished to do. Uh, You know, that's part of the problem in uh, the generation that I grew up in. Uh, A lot of parents work so hard to make sure their kids uh, had the things that they didn't have. They never stopped to think, you know, maybe it was good for me not have some of them things. Uh, that I didn't have growing up. And uh, we live in a world today where we get what we want when we want it. Uh, if we can't get what we want when we want it, we go sign a piece of paper and get it anyway, amen. Uh, kick the buck down the line a little ways. Uh, we just live in a world of financial freedom for the most part. Now, some of you are saying, oh, but the economy and this and that. You go, go to the restaurant after church this morning and ask me if the economy is doing too awful bad, amen. I'm not saying it ain't headed that way. Of course it's headed that way. But it ain't that bad yet because uh, people will be lined up at the steakhouses and lined up at the Walmarts and lined up... Uh, at the clothing stores. Uh, we're not hurting too bad yet. That ought to tell us something, how spoilt that we are in this country uh, when things get just a little bit tight and we start saying, oh, it's all falling to pieces. We ain't even seen heartache yet in this country. You listen to me this morning. I think we're headed for things in this country that would shock and amaze us if we truly knew it. I think we're headed for things in this country. And uh, you say, well, preacher, that's opinion. Well, it's biblically substantiated opinion because the Bible nowhere speaks of America in Bible prophecy. I think we're headed for things that are going to make uh, uh, going to make the Great Depression uh, look like a boom period. I think we're headed for some heartaches in this country that we can hardly fathom. Uh, this young man had all the wealth that he could have wanted. He could do things how he wanted, when he wanted, in the way that he wanted to do them. But it didn't change a thing about his standing with God. And even as Christians, sometimes we get trapped and sucked into this mindset. And we're so focused on getting everything to a place of financial stability. Uh, I, you know, I, as I read the New Testament, I find that every time that... Uh, listen, now, don't get coarse with me. Don't get angry with me. But I find that when God brought the church to a place of financial stability, you know what they did? Listen now. The Bible says that they gave even of themselves. The Bible says they took land that God had blessed them with, they sold it, and they gave the money. We're awful hard on Ananias and Sapphira now, aren't we? And they were wrong. I'm aware they were wrong. But I wonder how many of us have sold a piece of property with the sole purpose of giving that money to missions or giving that money uh, to some work of the Lord. Uh, The reality is uh, when God blesses us with money, it's that we might use it for His glory, that we might use it for His honor. But sometimes we get so wrapped up in this financial stability uh, scheme and game that we're living in that we forget what it is to live by faith. He says he's trusting in riches. That's what Christ said. It wasn't bad that he had riches. It was that he was trusting in his riches. It was that he was depending on them. This is a man of money. But I would note to you not only that he's a man with manners and money, but I see he's a man with morality. Uh, He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And by the way, there's a whole theological discussion we could have about what he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I don't want to have that discussion this morning, although that's a worthwhile discussion. Uh, But I, I just want to point out the fact that the Lord said, we'll keep all these commandments. And he said, these have I kept from my youth up. I find something very interesting about the morality that he claimed. You'll find in the Old Testament that when the Ten Commandments are given, that they are, uh, they are defined by two different categories. One of them is a category of uh, man's manward responsibility, how he deals with one another. And then the secondary category deals with his Godward responsibility. Something you'll notice about the things that our Lord mentioned here is that they're all manward responsibilities. 
In other words, this young man knew how to love his neighbor. This young man, and I don't believe, you see, when we kind of get real rough on this young man because he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. I don't think he was necessarily saying, I've never sinned. I think what he was saying is, I've lived the best that I can. And you know, that's what you hear today. Very few people will say, I've never sinned before. Most people will say, I do the best that I can. And I think what this young man is saying is, I try to be a good person and treat those around me with respect and with kindness. I believe he probably did. I, I believe that uh, most of the time in this world, if you come to a place of great possessions, uh, somebody has probably helped you along the way in some way, shape, fashion, or form, or you've probably made friends along the way. He probably had plenty of friends. He probably had lots of folks that he had been good to. He had morality. Can I say that morality many times deals with how we deal with each other? Spirituality, however, deals with how we deal with God. The thing that was missing in this young man's life was not that he was a bad person. It wasn't that, uh, uh, that he was a terrible person. It was rather that he was not justified in the sight and eyes of God. See, that's the real question this morning. Not how do you get along with folks. Not whether you have money. Not whether you know how to be a polite and kind person. Here's the question. What's your standing with God like? Uh, listen, I'm not just talking to the lost either. I'm talking to the saved too. The question is not just can you get along with folks. You're a Baptist, so you probably can't. Amen. But that's not, that's not the only question. The question is not this morning, what's your financial stability like? How many zeros are in your bank account? The question is not, do you know how to dress right and look right and act right? The question is this, what's your relationship with God like? That's the one thing. That's the one thing. This young man had morality. He was a good man. We would have looked at him in most modern New Testament church settings and said, that young man is a pillar of the church. You watch that young man, he's going to be somebody. And yet, when he came before Jesus Christ and Christ made a diagnosis of his life, he said, you've got a lot of things right, young man, but there's one thing that's missing, and that's your relationship with me. One thing. One thing thou lackest. Let me say a word about this deficit. Uh, that's what a deficit is, isn't it? It's when something's lacking. This young man had a lot of things, had a lot of good things. And yet we find in this passage that this one thing was enough to keep him out of heaven. Notice first off what he had to do. Look at verse 21 with me. The Bible says, And Jesus, beholding him, loved it, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. I would say first off, listen carefully, if you're going to be right with God, if you're going to have joy in your Christian walk, if you're going to be victorious in the way that you live for Jesus Christ, you've got to forfeit your idols. That thing that you've put above Jesus Christ, it's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. People say, well, God's against money. No, God's not against money. God paved this street with gold, amen? God's not against money. But He's against anything being above His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that in all things He might have the preeminence. What is that thing keeping you from turning loose and really serving God? What is that thing? Most of us, we don't have many things. Most of us, there's just that one thing. You say, how do I know what the one thing is? Because it never seems to change. You know what I'm talking about this morning. Oh, you've got those other things that you struggle with, but those you'll get victory over, and then you'll fall. And then it'll be something else, and then it'll be something else. But then there's that one persistent thing that you've struggled with for years. What's that one thing? That's your idol. What's that one thing in your life? Maybe it is that job. Maybe it is that money. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's family. Can I say that God's a family man? Amen? God's for the family. But sometimes even our family can become an idol. 
when we put them above the place of Jesus Christ. God's for your kids. I can say that without hesitation. God is for your children. He wants to see them saved and grow up to His glory and to serve Him, do mighty things for Him. But even your children can become idols. Can I say that even your uh, spouse, listen now, even your spouse can become an idol before God. Some of you say, oh, preacher, are you saying that uh, I need to forfeit my spouse? Well, some of you have been looking for an excuse, amen. But no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. There's times when we can choose to do what our spouse would want above what God would want us to do. Listen now. I know it ain't popular. I know it ain't exciting. But I'm plowing some serious ground right now that will change your life if you'll listen to me. We've got to get to the place where there's nothing that ranks above Jesus Christ in our lives. We've got to get to the place where our own comfort, our own convenience doesn't rank above Jesus Christ. Our own pride, our own ego. What is that one thing? What is that idol that you should tear down? And why are you unwilling to tear it down? He had to forfeit his idols. But notice, secondly, what did Christ say? He said, take up the cross. He had to find a place at the cross. Now, I understand this young man was not saved. I believe that's abundantly clear through Scripture. But I believe this is true not only for the lost man, but for the saved man too. You see, if you're lost and undone, you can go ahead and give up your idol, but that's not going to save you. You've got to find a place at the foot cross of Jesus. You've got to find a place uh, to get alone with Him. You've got to forfeit your own righteousness and call upon Him and accept His righteousness. But even for the saved man, listen, you'll never make Jesus Christ first until you learn to live the crucified life. Say, what's the crucified life? Can I tell you a story? I've told it before on Wednesdays, but uh, only about four of you have heard it. Amen. So listen carefully. What's the crucified life? Uh, It was said one time of Dr. Tozer, and if you don't know who he is, you don't have to know. If you do know, that blesses you to know it. He was a great man. That Dr. Tozer was teaching a uh, Bible college class, a a course, and uh, the young men in the class, they wanted to know something of the crucified life. They came to him and they said, Dr. Tozer, how do we find out about the crucified life? And he said, here's what I want you to do. There's a young man in that class that had just died recently. It was very present on everybody's mind. He said, I want you to go to that young man's grave. They said, okay. He said, when you get there, I want you to yell every insult you can think of at that young man's grave. Of course, they just looked at each other, confused. But they said, Dr. Tozer said to do it, we'll do it. So they go. They spend an hour there yelling every insult that they can that doesn't offend God at this grave. They come back and they said, okay, Dr. Tozer, we've done it. Now, how do we find out about the crucified life? They said, I've got one more thing I want you to do before I tell you about the crucified life. They said, what is that? He said, I want you to go back to that grave. And I want you to give every single... Uh, compliment, everything a posi- every single positive thing you can think to say at that grave. I want you to go back. I want you to say it. They said, okay, you promise you'll tell us about the crucified life when we return. He said, yes, yes, man, I, I promise I'll tell you. So they go. They spend about an hour giving every single pause. I mean, just dumping rose water on his grave. And they come back. And they said, Dr. Tozer, we've done it. Tell us now about the crucified life. He says, young men, that is the crucified life. That young man has been crucified. He's died. He's been uh, mortified. He doesn't respond to your uh, insults and he doesn't respond uh, to your inspiration talk. He just merely does what he needs to do. He just lays there 
He doesn't respond to anything. Listen, when we crucify the old man, you know what he does? We crucify his passions. We crucify his ambitions. We crucify his pride. We crucify his ego. We've got to get to the place where we realize that us in and of ourselves are absolutely nothing. We've got to take up the cross. He doesn't say take up your cross. He says take up the cross. The cross. Whose cross? Christ's cross. We've got to learn to nail ourselves to his cross. And then we see a third thing. How how are you going to get rid of that one thing? You say, all right, preacher, I've made up my mind this morning. I'm going to forfeit that idol. Whatever it is in my life, preacher, I've made up my mind. I'm going to do that. And you said, okay, preacher, and I promise I'm going to try to live the crucified life. I'm going to get along with God. I'm going to ask for his power, ask for his help. I'm going to confess all my sins and ask him to forgive me of them. I'm going to try to mortify myself. Okay, preacher, now what? Follow me. That's what he says. Follow me. I'll tell you the problem with a lot of Christianity today. We want to follow him, but we want to do what Peter did and follow him afar off. We want to follow him. We just don't want to do everything that he asks of us. We want to claim the name of Christ, but we just don't want to live like he expects us to live. Listen to me now. You're never going to have joy till you learn to follow Jesus. You're never going to have happiness. You're never going to have peace in your marriage. You're never going to have peace in your family. You're never going to have fulfillment and godliness with contentment, which is great gain. You'll never have that till you learn to follow Jesus. You say, how do I do that? You get in his word huh, and obey what he tells you to do. It's that simple. You don't make excuses. You don't make reasons not to. Uh, you don't make a later date to start doing it. You just make up your mind in the here and now. I'm going to follow Christ whatever it costs me. The thing this young man was missing is he wasn't putting Jesus Christ first. Notice finally the declaration uh, of this or the decision of this young man. What did he do? Well, I want you to notice first off that he departed. He made a decision that I hope none of you make today, but if statistics hold true, some of you will make this decision today. He chose to depart and to go away. Now, some of you say, oh, preacher, most of us, we're, uh, we're church folks here. Most of us is our home church. I mean, we'll be back, uh, if not tonight or if not Wednesday, we'll be back Sunday morning. Uh, you know, we're, we're coming back, preacher. That's not the kind of departing that I'm talking about. I'm talking about you've been faced with a truth this morning. And that truth this morning is this. Is Christ first in your life? If he's not, then he needs to be. You've been faced with that this morning. Now, what will you do with it? Will you turn around and walk out those doors and say, that was a good service, but it wasn't for me? Will you turn around and walk out the doors and say, that's a pretty good service, and try to push it out of your mind best as you can? Will you go out those double doors and say, that preacher doesn't know a thing that he's talking about? Will you go out those double doors and say, I could listen if he wasn't so ugly? <laughs> what will you do with this truth? We see that he departed. Notice, secondly, we see him despair. Not only did he go away, he went away sorrowful, grieving. I'll tell you what would fix all of this moping around. I don't, I, and I'm not griping at you. I mean, I, it's rainy. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about moping in your disposition. I'm talking about moping in the sense of living in the desert of Sinai when we ought to be in the Canaan of victory. I'm talking about uh, dragging our feet in disobedience when God has much greater things for us. That's what I'm talking about. You know where all of this moping comes from. It comes from setting an idol up in our life. And listen to me, nothing will ever fulfill you like Jesus Christ will. 
So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the money doesn't fulfill you. Don't be surprised when the spouse doesn't fulfill you. Don't be surprised when the family doesn't fulfill you. Don't be surprised if you're looking for problems, you'll find problems. There's nobody perfect but Jesus Christ. He's the only one. So if you want to look to somebody that's perfect, then he's the only one that you can look unto. You're not going to find satisfaction anywhere else, only through him. He went away despairing. Living that empty life. Oh, yes. We know what we know what he's talking about here, don't we? Living that empty life. Just churn along day to day to day to day. Just trying to survive instead of thriving through the glory of God and through the person of Christ. There's a lot of Christians. That's why we're such terrible witnesses to this world. This world doesn't want the Christianity that we've got. Because half of us act like we don't want the Christianity that we've got. Uh, half of us act like it's a burden to be a Christian. I don't know if it's half. You know, 99% of statistics are made up immediately right there on the spot. <laughs> but I'm saying a good portion of us. We act miserable in our Christianity. Why would we expect a lost person to want what we've got? We've got to quit despairing. And we've got to start uh, surrendering ourselves to Him. And then notice finally... This is interesting to me. We see in this passage, and I'll close with this thought, we see him departing, we see him despairing, but we see him declining. Look what it says in verse number 29. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the worlds to come eternal life. You know the great tragedy of this young man? The great tragedy is that he turned away from Jesus Christ for a lesser treasure. Can I tell you what the devil is trying to get us to do with our Christianity today? We think, we think the devil's trying to get us to trade that which is good for that which is bad, but that's false. The devil's trying to get us to trade that which is perfect for that which is lesser. Uh, trying to get us to trade that which is excellent for that which is mediocre. Trying to trade the first best for the second best. I'm reminded of what happened in the little city of Ai. The Bible tells us the story of the defeat of Jericho. You remember it very vividly in the book of Joshua. And the command was given that none of the spoil was to be taken. It was all to be given to the Lord. And there's a young man by the name of Achan. And Achan looked and lusted upon uh, a wedge of silver and a, and a piece of gold and a Babylonian garment. And he took those things and he hid them. You know what those were? Those were idols. God said, don't take those. And Achan said, well, I care more about those than I care about what you think, Lord. So I'm going to take those. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I care more about those than I care about you, Lord. So I'm going to take those. You say, what is idolatry? It's when uh, God says no to something or God says yes to something or God gives us a clear command about something. Uh, but we look at whatever is opposite of it and say, Lord, I know what you think about it, but I want that more than I want you, so I'm going to take it anyway. That's idolatry. And he takes it. We know the story. We know how that God zeroed in on him. His sin found him out. They took and stoned him and his family, even stoned his cattle, amen, everything. But you know the great tragedy of that story? The Bible says that uh, while before he was found out, they went 
and tried to smite Ai. And Ai defeated the children of Israel. But it says that after they killed Achan, listen carefully, that after they killed Achan, they went back and smote them, the city of Ai. And you know what the Bible says? The Lord gave them commandments said, you can take all the spoil for yourself. The great tragedy, the great tragedy is here lays Achan and his entire livelihood and family stoned to death when the very thing that he desired was right in front of him. If, if he had just had the patience and spirituality to put God first, he would have gotten what he wanted anyway. So many of us, were striving about this thing, trying to do it our way. We don't realize if we just give it over to God, He'd give us so much more than what we could ever imagine. He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, and it can't even enter into the thoughts or the mind or the lips of man the things that God hath prepared for us. If we'd only put Him first, if we'd only put Him in His proper place, instead we put excuses in that proper place. We put carnality and worldliness and the opinions of the world in that place. We create these idols, then we miss out on what God has for us. We miss out on it because we weren't willing to trust Him. I wonder what that one thing is this morning in your life. You may be here lost and undone, and there's one thing that's kept you from coming to Christ. What a shame. What a shame it would be for you to die and go to hell over that one thing it wouldn't be worth it if it was a million things. But it being that one thing, it's, it's just all the more tragic. Maybe you're here today, and if you were honest with God, you would admit that your life is not what it needs to be. You say, Preacher, I'm pretty good. Yes, yeah, so, was, so was this young man. He was pretty good. Preacher, I'm doing my best. So was this young man. But maybe your life is not where you need it to be, and you know that. And if you'll be honest, you know whether that's true or not. Can I say that don't let that one thing, that one thing keep you from living the life that God intends for you. Don't let that one thing keep you in defeat and discouragement and despair. What do I do, preacher? You forfeit that idol. How do I do that, preacher? You find a place at his cross. What do I do after that, preacher? You get up and you follow him. Oh, what a simple formula to fulfillment in the Christian life. If we could only learn to put Jesus first, we'd find that seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the, you know, the problem is a lot of us, we've sought the kingdom of God and we found it. And then we've, we've not done anything about his righteousness. You listen to me? Oh, I understand his righteousness was robed upon us when we were saved. I'm aware of that. But a lot of us, we've got saved. We've got our ticket. Boy, I, I despise that language. I'm not mad. I'm just mad at the devil. Amen. I despise that language. I've got my ticket. Got my ticket. I, I'm good now. I've got my seat. They've sent ahead my folding chair. I'm, I'm good to go. And we forgot about his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Put Christ in his proper place. You'll find everything else will fall in its place. You'll just get right with God. You'll find out that everything else will get right.